Unlike me, you have made the absolute right choice. <laughs> Thank you. Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits to the series as a whole. Today I'll be mimicking the season four mid-season break by taking a look at the Missing Pieces webisodes, and I'm not doing it alone. Joining me from PeachGeek.com's new Revolution podcast is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. How are you? Doing good. On as always. It's always great to have you uh, to have you on, and uh, it's good timing considering uh, what next week is. Yes, we will be uh, getting into the Revolution podcast, and uh, it's an exciting time here for uh, you know fans of uh, Bad Robot and JJ uh, Abrams. Yeah, it is. You know, we had uh, you know we we had uh, done a podcast last season on uh, on Alcatraz, which we enjoyed doing very much. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't quite have the support from Fox that it needed, and uh, and Fox ultimately canceled it. But uh, yeah, we're kind of you know keeping things in the the sci-fi mysterious what is going on genre and uh yeah i can't wait for that uh for that first episode of revolution to start next monday and then for our for our podcast to uh start a little bit later in the week very excited now pete for people who are interested in the revolution podcast uh how can they find out more well they can go to uh the flagship for all things ph geek phgeek.com uh, you can also go to revolutionpodcast.net. Uh, you could check out our Facebook by searching uh, PH Geek. And uh, certainly while you're there, uh, give us a like. And uh, the Twitter, I believe, is uh, something you could tell us about. Yeah, there's the, uh, the, uh, the, Twitter, uh, the Twitter account for uh, the PH Geek podcast. It's simple. It is PH Geek podcast. And uh, I guess one more thing I'll mention, Pete, before we dive into these uh, lost webisodes or mobisodes, as we'll as we'll discuss in a moment, is uh, you can also find uh, the Revolution podcast and some of the other stuff that we do uh, for phgeek.com on iTunes by simply searching for phgeek. Those six little letters get you access to uh, a number of our different uh, projects on iTunes. So Pete, now let's uh, dive into these uh, into these mobisodes, these webisodes. Uh, maybe uh, towards the end of the podcast, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about uh, their genesis. Uh, first, uh, as we you know, as we get ready to dig into the story here, I guess a few notes about how we'll be doing things. Uh, first, we're going to be following the production order, which uh, is how you said they appear on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, I also read that online, so. I know they were released in a different order. I felt a little bit torn, but you know, insofar as uh, the DVD and the Blu-ray uh, collections are kind of the the final edition of the show, you know, I thought that was a good way to uh, good way to watch them. Yeah, um, 
I mean, I want to say something certainly about encountering them on the DVD when you had uh, reached out to me to uh, come on and talk about these, you know, once I got past the initial flattery, it was okay, I've got to find these. And you had mentioned they're all up on YouTube. And I'm like, wait, they've got to be on the DVDs, all of which I own. So I'm, I'm going through and I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm not seeing these called out anywhere on the DVDs. And then on Wikipedia, it says they were included with season four. So scrutinizing the back of the season four set, of course, no mention. And there are two discs <laughs> worth of special features. And on the second disc, sure enough, pretty much hidden, there I found them. So the fact that they're not called out and they're pretty much squirreled away on this set I think in retrospect indicates quite a bit. They were a good idea. They were a, a novel concept for the time. Uh, but I think even the producers look back and say, all right, we did it. We'll throw them in there, but I don't think we're going to make a huge deal out of them. I do believe there was an Emmy nomination. Yes. Yes. And they lost out to some of the Battlestar Galactica uh, webisodes. Or Mobis, I guess. It, by the time Battlestar Galactica did them, they were just uh, just uh, webisodes. But yeah, kind of the there was a, a fairly new uh, mid decade. There was a fairly new uh, Emmy category for for this type of stuff, and uh, indeed they were they were nominated. Right. So you know they kind of jumped on the I want to say passing fad here. You know, um, mm. in terms of the mobile aspect of it you know now we can just you know youtube and and all these other ways to watch the content um but it's almost like uh i guess they felt they had to do it yeah it definitely was uh it's kind of representative of a certain time a certain place you know kind of post you know not to wave the apple flag here but kind of you know post iphone and and, and post you know living in this uh in this smartphone world Kind of the the quaint notion of of watching something that's sent to your phone as opposed to your mobile device, you know, as opposed to a YouTube uh, where you can see it on your phone, on your tablet, on your desktop, on your laptop, blah blah blah. It's it, it certainly is novel. Um, I, I'm struck too. I, mean, I I agree with you, Pete. Overall, these thirteen uh, webisodes that we're going to be discussing. Most are not great. Maybe there's one or two that, that I think really um, offer a little nugget towards the overall uh, improvement of, of the canon. But um, I, I know the phrase for the new man in charge, that, you know, that DVD-only uh, epilogue to the series. I think the phrase used for that uh, by Lindelof and Cuse was uh, like that it was a little dessert after a, a satisfying meal. Well, if that's the case, then this is kind of like you know when you go to, uh, is it Ruby Tuesday, where they just give you like tiny complimentary biscuits, one for each person at the table? That's kind of this. Like, I'm glad to have had the meal, or I'm glad to have had these little bites, but eh, you know, it's not like I go, the, you know, I don't go to Ruby Tuesday for the, the little, tiny little biscuits that they give for the table, nor am I, you know, blown away by, by these uh, missing pieces. I almost feel, and obviously I'm I'm coming into it <clears throat> knowing the whole series as we do, but 
I almost feel like they're best viewed after everything. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that within different uh, episodes, within different chapters, whatever we're going to call these. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah uh, I, I would tend to agree with you. They're, they're, they're the freebies. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even, it's not even like fortune cookie quality. Exactly. Cause at least a fortune cookie is, is indeed a nice ending to it, to a meal, but I'm going to uh, disagree on the, on the fortune cookie <laughs> aspect because there's, I mean, looked at it in the proper light, there's, you know, same as you could look at as a, a fortune, you know, um, you know, you're not going to play the game, of course, where you're going to add in bed to whatever you see on the uh, fortune. But, um, you know, these can be uh, predictive of, of some of the things that take place later in the series. Indeed. Uh, I guess last thing I'll mention before we kind of kick things off uh, to, to get into these uh, these missing pieces properly. I'll just mention that if you don't have the DVD or the Blu-rays, uh, as indeed we've discussed, you can find the individual episodes, uh, the individual missing pieces, you can find them on YouTube. Uh, there's also uh, somebody back in the day collected them on lostmobisodes.blogspot.com. Uh, those are presented in, in release order and not uh, not production order, but they are numbered. You, know, you can find the, the production number easily. Um, so if you haven't seen them, you can check them out. Uh, I guess with that, maybe we'll just uh, give a quick uh, Wikipedia summary with what exactly these uh, you know these things are that we, that uh, we're discussing. Uh, Lost Missing Pieces was a series of thirteen mobisodes slash webisodes which were released weekly on Verizon mobile phones and six days later on ABC.com between November sixth, two thousand seven, and February fourth, two thousand eight. The runtime is between uh, about ninety seconds and three and a half minutes. And they uh, strive to fill a narrative gap somewhere in the timeline from the first three seasons. And they are indeed considered a canonical extension of the series. So with that, Pete, should we jump into 101? Sure. All right. 101 is King of the Castle. The uh, little summary is sometime during days 75 to 79 when Jack is living with the others in the barracks. Jack and Ben play chess. Ben tells Jack that the island might not leave, uh, let him leave, and if he does, Jack may regret it someday. Now, finally, your thoughts, Pete? Well, this is the one I think that, you know, is is very interesting in retrospect. You know, we have to go back, that whole thing, um, you know, leaving and returning, which, you know, viewed at the time when it was available, had to seem like a very contradictory aspect why would he ever come back the show is about leaving the island about getting off that's the end game right uh and obviously you know flipping it on its ear uh in the long run the black and white with the chess obviously and um the turn that jack takes a strange jack when he's with the others um you know there's there's that one uh ending to an episode where he's playing football and the whole uh thing there oh yeah um go ahead no no i was just agreeing oh yeah jack playing football it was that weird time where he kind of seemed um oddly brainwashed uh, or something yeah either brainwashed or just kind of resigned to the fact that he had made this deal to protect everybody else and he was going to stay um 
should we uh oh actually i i think there's one thing i might want to might want to correct you on there pete i believe when these uh webisodes uh were i was gonna say aired but that's uh, i guess that's the wrong verb when they were uh uh shared can we say um it was in between seasons three and four so we did we did have the the first flash forward uh, at the end of season three, knowing that Jack and others, you know, Jack and Kate got off the island. Um, gotcha. Which to me then almost paints this this webisode as a little cute. You know, it, it's kind of, I, I kind of coined the phrase and, and maybe somebody else uh, has coined it before me. But I kind of had coined the phrase um, of, uh, oh, where is it my notes here, of post-shadowing. Like, you know, pre-shadowing is when the author says, well, I'm going to put little hints early in the story about things that will happen later. And I kind of felt like some of these uh, some of these missing pieces, particularly this one, it kind of was post-shadowing. It's like, oh, man, we're going to have them talk about stuff that already, you know, that hasn't happened yet for them. But everybody in the world knows it happened because they've already seen the episode that it's you know that it's connected to so like it's kind of almost cute and not in a good way because it's it's saying "Ooh, one day you might leave the island and then want to come back or it might draw you back well yeah we already saw that it's not a hint i mean from the the author's point of view it's not a hint it's actually happened so the fact that you're referencing that i don't know i kind of felt a little blah by it well, if I can get out my change purse here and maybe uh, do a little coinage as well, um, you know, referring as you are, of course, to the foreshadowing, maybe we call this foreshadowing, like after shadowing. Yeah, uh, that 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 phrase works as well. <laughs> uh, they do, uh, as you mentioned, there is this discussion about the island's power, and uh, why don't we take a listen to a clip? Sure entirely up to me if the island doesn't want you to leave it won't let you (laughs) what the the island's gonna sink the sun no no I promise you I won't do anything to prevent you from getting home but if you do leave this place a day may come when you want to return. Never. So there you go, Pete. You know, it's it's an example, as as we just discussed, about, you know, Ben saying, oh, you might leave and want to come back one day. Well, yeah, we've seen that. So I think it kind of takes away from the story of, of that particular uh, missing piece. Yeah, again, I think in retrospect, it, it takes on added meaning and importance. And and I think, like you said, the the cute factor is there as well. I I remember hearing. I think I heard on like one of the Lord of the Rings commentary tracks that that Francis Ford Coppola recut the Godfather trilogy uh, once, and he recut it to be completely chronological. Um, yes, I've seen that, and they actually run it from time to time. Oh, okay. If ever they did that with Lost, which of course would take away so much because the, the whole flashback flash forward uh device is so uh not even the flash sideways which technically you know all the flash sideways would be at the end uh it would obviously not be a good narrative choice however this would be a cute scene 
I'm cute's the wrong word because a we've just used it a trillion times and b that's kind of you know derogatory but this would be an interesting scene to return into the overall narrative um you know at at the the the, the present day season three uh time on the island uh, yeah, I, I wish it was. I, I wish with some of these, they frankly just put them back in, re-edited the episode, plunked it back in. But oh well. Uh, shall we move on to one hundred and two? Sure. All right. This is this has the interesting title: Jack meet Ethan. Ethan Jack. And uh, the summary is thus: Sometime during day four, Ethan approaches Jack and gives him a suitcase of medical supplies. And the two discuss the possibility of Claire delivering her baby on the island. Ethan also tells Jack that his wife and baby died in childbirth. So, your thoughts, Pete? Um, again, retrospectively, you know, and and we know the way things go down between uh, Jack and Ethan, and and then bring Charlie into that. Um, but the idea that's floated here, like, oh, I'm going to need an assistant. And, you know, later on, the things we find out about Ethan uh, in season five and how he kind of functions as Ben's assistant. So viewing this one directly after viewing King of the Castle, I think, takes on added importance. And there's some pregnant pauses <laughs> intended there uh, within this uh, little uh peace if if we'll call them those um and uh just seems interesting yeah i mean it's another one where it's not it's not particularly great um it's a bit heavy-handed it's kind of you know a lot of inside baseball here he ethan's found the guy who's planning ahead ethan has an eye on the pregnant girl uh mentioning that you're definitely not alone um eh I also caught that the the Claire shot was uh, reused from the pilot. Yes. Um, which you know, again, for for what they were looking to invest in these episodes, you know, so be it. Um, the one thing that stuck out uh, to me when I watched it was uh, the reference to his wife and child dying during labor, and uh, I I actually went and uh, and checked that out on Lostpedia. Lostpedia cites the Lost Encyclopedia saying at some point during his stay on the island, Ethan married a woman who eventually became pregnant and died during labor. So uh, I guess that's true, as opposed to a cute um, anecdote by Ethan the survivor, as opposed to Ethan the other. Yeah, I wondered the same thing, and I was trying to think back slash ahead to (laughs) season five and remember, was that the case? And I wasn't sure, and I, I wasn't sure whether it was the writers, the producers here, just kind of throwing us a, a a bone, you know, canonically, as we said before. Although, I, again, you know, that these are supposed to be viewed as part of the series, yet they're outside of the series, makes it a a strange view. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I will admit. I mean, it's been. It's been forever since I've seen season five and being in the midst of season four now, it kind of, you know, there's this weird, as I, as I know I've mentioned before on the podcast, there's this weird kind of memory wash that happens where, you know, the closer I get to a season, I remember that season less and less because how the previous, you know, how the episodes that I've been doing recently fit into everything is, is at the forefront of my mind. But, 
you know, uh, I guess all in all, it's not a bad uh, missing piece. I would agree. Let's move on to 103, The Adventures of Hurley and Frogert. In it, Hurley gets wine for his picnic with Libby, uh, and he's confronted by crash survivor Neil, a frozen yogurt salesman nicknamed Frogert. Frogert tells Hurley he also has a crush on Libby and is waiting for Hurley's relationship to crumble. What do you think, Pete? I found this one uh, absolutely offensive in terms of its characterization. Uh, of who? Of Frogert? Of Hurley. Ooh, tell me more. Um, you know, well, we're way past laundry and uh, this other stuff. And to attempt to set up a really forced rivalry over uh, Libby um, beyond the fact that we're bringing in this this Frogert guy, it, it just it really doesn't come off well. Yeah, I mean. To me, it fails on a, on a bunch of different levels as well. There's definitely shoddy camera work at this. Now, I know that they're shooting, you know, that they shot these quickly, but it, it shows. It's like kind of camcorder action here. Um, it's also, I mean, look, Libby is, the, Libby is in so few episodes, but what she brings to the story and what, you know, the actress is acting achieves in that small amount of time with Hurley is this glue that they're able to pick up on at the end of the series to then make light and be like, like, here's this other guy who, you know, would like to do laundry with her too, wink, wink. And then to kind of place it right at this, at this precious time, you know, I'm bringing the wine, she's bringing the blankets. You're sitting here going, this is like the great road untaken. Like Libby might be dead Libby might be shot during this cutesy wootsy little, you know, <laughs> thing where it's like, I don't know. It just, it's very, very strange. It's very, it's really strange. And they make Frogert so uh, unlikable. Yeah. You know, he's it, easily the uh, Paolo and Nikki of these missing pieces. Well said. Well he's, said. He's both of them. <laughs> At the same time. Um, now I know that his appearance here does kind of fulfill some, uh, kind of Comic-Con type stuff. Uh, Frogert was first mentioned by Cuse and Lindelof, uh, in the official Lost podcast as a, uh, a yet unidentified survivor who would become, quote, more interesting. Uh, it was then a year later, because that was April 2006 when that comment was made, the 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 following summer, which is to say July 2007, that promise was repeated at San Diego Comic Con, um, and then he shows up in this. This would have been what this was fall 2008 when uh, when this particular missing piece premiered, and then he finally. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 2008 that they yeah. came out. Yeah. Um, All right. I've always said they stretched from seven to eight. I apologize. You're correct. I got got the years mixed up. Yes, it was 2007. So kind of a cute self-fulfilling like by by san diego comic-con 2007 they're already if not filming uh they're probably filming at that point but if they're not then it's enough to know that the actor you know has been contracted to do this blah 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 you know eh, i don't know that there's any great contribution to to the canon i mean certainly he does appear in the main show uh in season five uh because you left and then he dies so memorably in the lie um 
maybe his amusingly dark death uh, in the lie becomes justified because he's such a jerk in uh, uh, in uh, the adventures of Hurley and Frogert, but not a huge contribution. No, like I said, he's uh, he will forever be looked back as somebody who's just unlikable and doesn't really add anything. Now that's the got milk guy, right? The the Aaron Burr commercial. I have no idea. Okay, that's Aaron worth... Burr, like the guy that had the duel with uh, Alexander Hamilton. The first got milk commercial. I am ninety nine percent sure stars this guy. It's a it's a minute long. It was directed by Michael Bay. And it's this guy. That, Are you making this stuff? Up? <laughs> no, I'm not. And, and this guy plays plays a plays a character in the first, the very first Got Milk commercial, who is kind of in one of these like loft warehouse type, super cool house like like you imagine as a kid. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna have a big giant loft with like all my stuff everywhere, like one giant room, right? It's that, and it's he's listening to. Um, a radio call-in show about who who was it who shot Alexander Hamilton and he's been eating his peanut butter sandwich and he's like who shot Alexander Hamilton and he's like got paintings of it it's like the gun the bullet and his phone rings and they're like all right for a million dollars who shot Alexander Hamilton he goes rum, rum, uh, I, this is vaguely uh familiar um not him of course but the <laughs> the setup um, I'm just stunned that Michael Bay may have been involved and there were no explosions. Hey, you know what? Everybody has to start somewhere. I guess. <laughs> I, so. I think he was working well before that. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah. So congratulations, dude. Your contributions to society are Rurumber and Frogert. Yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's move on to Missing Piece 104, entitled Room 23. Uh, the summary is thus. Sometime during days 45 to 49, Walt... Well, you know what, Pete? Let's take a listen to actually uh, this Missing Piece in its entirety, because uh, I think it's I think it's a pretty good one. So let's take a listen. What's happening? He did it again. Did what again? You know. Well... You're going to have to tell him to stop doing it. I'm not going in there. Fine, get Beatrice. She's not going in there either, Ben. None of them will. Tom won't even bring them food. They're all scared. Look, Ben, his father is out there looking for him. We could bring him back. No. This is your responsibility. You are the one who wanted him here. Jacob wanted him here. He's important. He's special. He's dangerous. He's just a kid, Juliet. He's a child. He's just a child. Come see. What kind of child does this? So, Pete, your thoughts. Um, I mean, it's certainly mysterious and the whole idea of, oh, Waltz and Room 23, we know what that is and, and everything there. Um, and, you know, 
it's great to see Elizabeth Mitchell, who, by the way, will be part of the cast of Revolution. So, you know, just uh, some some shameless uh, cross promotion there. Um, but I don't get a tremendous uh, amount out of this one. You know, I am shocked to hear you say that. I thought that this uh, this missing piece absolutely strengthened the Walt storyline uh, a great deal. Walt, to my mind, was never a huge part of the the overall story, the you know the season one through six story that we were presented. But uh, given that we're uh, kind of getting a call back to that mysterious bird attraction power that we saw in season one. Uh, we're touching on the unknown reasons for his abduction, shown here to be Jacob's idea. Uh, and then, it, to me, it kind of connects to Walt's ultimate return uh, to the story, if you will, in The New Man in Charge. Uh, I think it's kind of fun to think that there's this Walt story out there somewhere that's not its not taking place on our island, you know, on our lost storyline, but that there's this Walt story that has to do with the beginning of the plane crash stuff and then he kind of goes away for a little bit and then he comes back after the end and potentially you know potentially walt is is the new hurley who's the new jack who's the new jacob you know potentially walt's there for for two thousand years um i don't know i thought I, I thought it was a bonus yeah um i mean i can certainly see those points but i i just think this one is is too much of an in nod and almost again retrospectively like oh you thought we never summed up the walt story well we were working on it the whole time go back and look at the room 23 webisode you know i i just feel you used the, the phrase before you know inside baseball and this comes off that way yeah that's fair that's fair i mean certainly if you're sitting in the writer's room going well what are what can we get two minutes out of you go all right walt well we can't show walt well that's okay it could be when he's with the others and he's like in the room and he's doing something weird well what weird we don't want to build a set uh he calls birds because we could just get like stuffed birds and stick them on the floor and then he called the birds there. It's all the stuff that you don't see. So a fair point. Let's move on to 105, Buried Secrets. Sometime during days 6 to 44, while burying her forged driver's license, son is discovered by Michael, and they almost kiss Pete. Not not they almost kiss you, Pete. They almost kiss, <laughs> period. Pete? Well, you know, at the risk of being ambiguous, one of them can almost kiss me, and the other one can almost not. <laughs> how how open-minded you are pete <laughs> uh and just for the sake of clarity i'm talking about uh you know uh son she can kiss me and the other one uh michael cannot so <laughs> <laughs> anyway um i have some questions about this this all takes place as you're so uh want to um you know point out in a post 9-11 world matt um, so, you know, one of the biggest, uh, security problems with nine 11 was the fact that so many of the hijackers had mail away licenses. I want to say from, uh, North Carolina, which can be done by mail. So I got to ask, you know, in a series that's, uh, the inciting incident is a plane crash, uh, where initially the, uh, 
specter of terror is raised. Okay. And we have the Sawyer and Saeed, um, you know, initial conflict. Um, did the writers and or producers forget this aspect and, you know, make it so that uh, Sun has a mail in or mail away license from California? She hasn't yet been there. So how does she have that? And that's a pretty big logical loophole within the course of this. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really fair point. Um, because what prevents her? Well, uh, okay. I think if the writer of the webisode was here, they'd say a couple of things. They probably would say, man, you caught me. It's a MacGuffin. It's something, it's some prop that's actually not important to the story, which is just an excuse for her to be away from Jin, uh, off by herself, blah, 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 all that jazz. Well, Matt, as you know, I, I, I do a little writing and I got to say lazy, bad writing. Okay. Not my own, of course, this writing <laughs> and two, um, put another prop in there, put her passport, put something else there. Okay. Uh, if it's going to be a throwaway, um, just so it doesn't distract because here it clearly distracts. You're saying, wait a minute, she's got a California license. How'd that happen? Yeah, I, I I think it's a really excellent point. I mean, maybe the thinking was, well, she can get into Los Angeles on her real passport and then, what, kind of go underground because the long arm of, of uh, Pike Industries. Uh, but even then, I mean, you, it, it doesn't take away from your point that fake IDs are not, are not, easy to be had post 9-11. I'm even going to advocate here on the side of the writer. Maybe there was in the room at that point some thinking, well, we're in a in a, a flashback or a flash. Well, it can only be a flashback, obviously, so she gets it. We're going to show she got to California. She snuck away at some point and got the uh, license and then came back. Yeah, I I guess that's possible, although... I don't know. She was, she was such a kept woman from all that we saw, um, you know, it, you know, kind of in that, in that lovely apartment, but don't, don't, don't dare wander too far. Says Jin says, dad. Uh, I mean, if she was going to make a run for it, she could have just made a run for it when she was in, in California. I'm not taking away from your, your proposition. I'm just saying, yeah, I, I see fingerprints of a writer whose job it was to bang out, uh, you know, 300 seconds and and use. Let's not forget for each of these uh, missing pieces that use Michael, they're using Harold Perrineau like Harold Perrineau is credited for the first six episodes of the season, but he does not appear in that. So he's essentially for each of these webisodes, it's like, well, we're already paying the dude to be here in Hawaii and like get whatever the the negotiated rate is for him to appear as a as a cast member for season uh, four. Uh, we got it. We, we need some Michael webisodes here. So maybe what? that's the thinking. Like you got it. Let's start with you need Harold Perrineau and it needs to be something that hasn't taken place yet. And we don't want to tip our hand to the fact that he's on the freighter. So. So it must be 
uh, season, you know, must be season one or two, but maybe you backtrack to this point. I don't know. I got to stop for a second and, and just make sure, Matt, that we're not on our podcast together because, you know, the Revolution podcast, because we're just working so well right now. You you dovetailed automatically into my next point with no setup. Um, so I didn't even know he had been credited to this point, you know, not having gone back and, and watched the series as, as dedicatedly as you have. Um, so I got a call here, shenanigans. Um, if you're paying the guy, then you know what? And, you know, whatever the salary is per episode, and I'm sure he gets a little bit more because the guy had worked pretty extensively in film. Uh, can we cut his hair to look like the first season? Because that was uh, beyond the uh, license nonsense. That was the other thing that completely took me out of this in terms of continuity. His hair is too long to any way fit into the season one continuity. So if this ever gets re-spliced, um, like you were talking about, uh, it's going to seem completely out of place. <laughs> so, so you're advocating for the, the 10th anniversary, uh, addition to maybe include some, uh, a digital haircut. <laughs> this webisode. I, mean, I, I, I don't know. I just think, you know, here and in other places, his hair comes off as way too long. And, you know, it's one thing if the guy is away doing, you know, Shakespeare in the park and, you know, getting him back and having him to cut his hair is a major hassle. But as you're explaining, he's clearly, you know, uh, in Hawaii. Um, I think the guy can get a buzz. And uh, from a continuity standpoint, we can make him look like, because I mean, isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we're going for here? That you could drop these cute little things in where they're supposed to be? Well, no, you can't. <laughs> Particularly since there's no reason why uh see i though last week's episode of looking back at lost was uh was the michael returns episode uh through an odd bit of you mean lost, kevin johnson indeed the the meet kevin johnson episode though everybody enjoyed listening to that episode last week uh because of uh the time travel properties of the island this is actually being recorded before uh before that podcast is recorded before i've watched that episode so i it's a bit uh faint in my memory certainly like i don't know how much I, I don't recall how much of me kevin johnson takes place uh shortly after his rescue but certainly most of that episode is him you know on the fr is is the freighter story so w it would be kind of cool to have him have shorter hair shorter hair concurrent to season one in uh, this webisode and then if you need him to have longer hair you know pop a wig on him uh whatever for some of the earlier meet kevin johnson stuff and then how cool would it be when you see him on the boat uh at the end of at the end of uh 407 and then for meet kevin johnson what if he had really short hair um just to really contrast things and, and then there'd be this discussion man how did they get the hair business you know done so well but I don't know. I, we might be giving this uh, webisode too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more point. So you, yeah, know, fire you alluded to the, the almost kiss there. Um, what's up with that Vincent that pops through? Because that is clearly a different Vincent. Really? I hadn't even noticed. Yeah. 
I guess. Well, you know what? Maybe that Vincent wasn't comfortable uh, working on a webisode without <laughs> without kind of codified union language to govern webisodes and mobisodes. Uh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there were two different dogs used for Vincent, but maybe, you know, this is a third dog that is only allowed to work on mobile slash web exclusives. So it wasn't in his <laughs> his uh his SAG uh, responsibilities to uh, to do anything else. Yeah. Speaking of the kiss, uh, I, this was just an odd story point to use at the point where we're watching this, uh, you know, in between seasons three and four, we're cool with Sun and Jin. Like they've kind of had their, their, their tough times and they've come together and yes, in the beginning of the series, there was a hint of a Sun Michael romantic spark that the show tiptoed before, but the show decided not to pursue that. And then they, this comes along, and they're kind of tugging at the string of a story that they never used. So it kind of was just, I don't know, it was strange. That's all. Yeah. Let's move on to 106 Operation Sleeper, which is summarized as on the night of uh day 86 good job wikipedia how about this on night 86 juliet wakes jack to confess that she's been working with hence my distaste for wikipedia (laughs) well you know what pete we'll go back and change that one right now but uh on that night juliet wakes jack to confess that she's been working with ben what are your thoughts pete i mean other than the the floating of the idea you know pun intended here that you know Locke didn't blow up the sub somebody else might have I really get nothing out of this yeah it's kind of another you know post shadowed story um, we know that she's a sleeper agent at least in so far as, as Ben believes that to be the case uh, and in fact that was the zinger of that episode here it's just kind of you know superfluous Um at least that at least that revelation for the second half though i think it's a bit more useful uh the through line for sun in season four is that she must get off the island with her baby or they're both gonna die of course we saw in ji yan that she made it off but the how and and why weren't known until the end of the season so insofar as if you watch this before seeing season four it's that reminder of there's this pregnancy issue and then that gets picked up for to some degree the pregnancy issue getting off the island who gets off the island in in sun's sphere of influence you know Jin, who else is going to be on the helicopter or you know the the unknown helicopter before we've seen season four um i thought that was nice that was setting things up nicely yeah so. i mean i can certainly see it but again it, it just feels like you know, we're we're gonna put this little bookmark in, and you know that's the contribution, and and it, it just didn't feel like it warranted, you know, the coverage. By the way, the Lostpedia trivia for this episode uh, is explaining what the title Operation Sleeper means, which really? I was just like, really, like, uh, which which one of those two words didn't you understand in this context? So, you mean they weren't asleep? while performing an operation (sighs) moving on to 107 the watch 
years before the crash, uh, before the crash, the day before Jack's wedding to Sarah, Jack's father Christian apologizes to Jack for not having been a good father. Christian gives Jack a watch that's been passed down to him by his father. Pete, your thoughts? Well, you know, Jack's uh, it's before the wedding, and, and and Jack is on the beach there getting his rocks off, and we we have this uh, discussion between him and his dad about, you know, well, no more throwing rocks after you get married and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, I have a soft spot for the, the, the father son stuff, obviously the way the season, I'm sorry, the series ends. Um, but other than that, again, just a little too much wink, wink, nod, nod, you know, I'm going to give you this watch. You know, the watch thing had kind of already been done, I think, with uh, with uh, Jin. So why go back to a similar um, symbol if you're not going to handle it a similar way? I mean, have the duality, have the symmetry that it would, would have a similar meaning. No, it, it's distracting. And so many objects within the course of this series are meant to call you in a particular way, you know, and, and you're like, wait, it, could that be the watch? Yada, yada, yada. So, you know, I, I think this one does more harm than good. Yeah, and it also was the first one released. So for many people, this was this was the great experiment. This was the great opportunity to, to get lost uh, after uh, the conclusion of season three, May 2007. It's like, ooh, Lost is back in a limited form starting in November. Um, early on in it, it's more handheld camera work. It's not even steady cam. It's just cheap-looking handheld camera work. It really comes off as quick and on the fly. Uh, we start with a longer take, like they're just trying to chew up through those, you know, you know, chew through the scene. Uh, then there's a two shot that really seems awkwardly staged with Christian delivering dialogue with kind of like, it's not his full back is to us, but it's like the back, the back uh, of his cheek is to us. You know, he's kind of turned three quarters away from the camera. Um, again, this kind of sense of let's just shoot as much footage as possible. So this way it's a, it's a quick shot. It's a quick edit. Um, there, you know, it's, as you said, the marriage stuff is kind of, you know, it's a little bit too wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, marriage is a great idea, but of course we know that Jack's marriage is not a good idea because he ends up being emotionally unavailable and, you know, to a certain degree drives away his wife. Um, there is one moment, I think, uh, that uh, maybe was a bit better, and uh, it's some better heartfelt advice. And uh, let's take a little listen, Pete. Would you do me a favor? If you and Sarah ever have a kid, try to treat him a little better than I treated you. No pressure, right? I'll see you inside, kiddo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, Pete, that's that re- almost redeems the entire thing, particularly given that, you know, so fine, we know Jack doesn't have uh, a child in this life, 
But uh, coincidentally or not, on purpose or not, I couldn't help but think about uh, the son he perhaps wishes he had, the son that we see in the in the flash sideways. Um, it, it's not quite a through line of this, you know, uh, uh, the watch uh, as a mobisode is connected to that flash sideways storyline. But to me, there's kind of it's all kind of headed in the same direction of, you know, in Jack's dreams, he wants to be that kind of dad. Uh, so I, I got I got a little bit of uh, something out of that. I got that, too. Um, you know, I dare say it was a little early for them to be, you know, floating the flash sideways. I don't think they had come up with that convention officially just yet you know maybe it was in the writer's room at this point you know we're, we're going to experiment with another type of storytelling um or maybe it was well you know jack's going to have a kid at some point you know um so much of of this show and you know literature in general deals with with daddy issues and obviously he had his share um you know i i do like that and you know it, it fits into the series as a whole. Um, but I, I just feel again that it, it's kind of, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah. Yeah. With that, let's, uh, let's move on. Episode 108 is entitled Jin has a temper tantrum on the golf course. And the summary goes while golfing with Michael and Hurley, Jin has a temper tantrum on the golf course. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I found this to be, I mean, look, this didn't add to the great understanding and the great shading of characters. Uh, it was an entertaining two minutes. It was some great gin dialogue. It, it made me chuckle uh, through most of it. It made me kind of sad at the very, very end. Uh, I wish there was more like this that just gave us kind of uh, the highlighter version of characters or a scene or or or, or whatever um I, I don't know i i enjoyed it a great uh, a great amount well it, it certainly um indicates that they played more golf than that one tournament <laughs> um which i don't know man i don't know if if we want to imply that you know there was that much leisure activity going on on this island <laughs> and then you know there's the really bittersweet stuff with with Jin, you know, nobody understands me. Nobody listens. Um, with with two guys that really, you know, he did develop a bond with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. You go from his his great dialogue, uh, which you know, I mean, because of the nature of the character, because of there being a certain hierarchy of the characters, you know, Jin is. There are whole episodes where it's like, Jin does not appear in this episode. Jin does not appear in this episode. Jin appears in this episode with no dialogue. Jin appears at the end of the episode with no dialogue. You know, it's stuff like that. So for him to be ripping through dialogue, you know, you, Hurley, don't talk for once. How can I lose to Hurley and Michael? Why can't I be understood? Who invented this crazy this crazy game? No, you horrible ball. Why don't you go in the hole? It's just... It, it, it's great it's you know we've all been there where you kind of pop a pop a gasket and you're being ridiculous um but then you get to the meat and potatoes of it i'm so alone i'm so alone and you go 
wow, this, you know, everybody else, after they kind of dust themselves off after the first couple of days and accept the reality of this is life for the time, for, for the present time, this is life. Going fishing, getting coconuts, getting mangoes, like this is my life. I'm sure for everybody else, you kind of settle in, you go, hey, you know, so what did you do back home? You know, it's kind of like you get to know your new community. He's a he's a community of one. And I never really thought of it like that until this uh, this missing piece. Yeah, I can certainly uh, see that. Um, but again, it, you know, I'm taken out of it by, you know, the, the juxtaposition of, you know, the leisure activity and the heavy, heavy dialogue. <laughs> ah, fair enough. Yeah, it is a lot of reading. Um, let's move on to 109, The Envelope. Uh, this was not a missing piece per se. That certainly is how, uh, how it was released. This was a deleted scene uh, uh, and in it. Uh, on crash day, Juliet almost shows Amelia, a member of the Others Book Club, Ben's x-rays. Ben's feelings for Juliet are hinted at. So your thoughts, Pete? Um, we had talked previously, actually, you and I, um, off mic about this one. Uh, I don't think those are the x-rays. They don't look big enough. Um unless they're in like thumbnail version. It looks like a um eight and a half by eleven uh you know middle envelope that they're in there's no way you're getting x-rays um in there and um i just really felt like this had no resolution i don't feel necessarily that it was meant to but we never really understand what's in the envelope yeah when you first mentioned you know x-rays can't fit in the envelope it was before i had had rewatched this and i was like eh you know whatever I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's no way, you know, x-rays are one-to-one when they're, when they're taken. That's, that's the whole thing. You know, you're, you're literally flooding the body with x-rays and on the other side, there's the film that, that makes the image. So yeah, there's that. It's also just, I know why this was cut from the from the episode because it really doesn't do anything because it's all kind of mystery 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 and it's not it's not mystery in service of finding the answer once you know the answer it's not like you go back and go oh my goodness this guy that they caught henry gale it's actually ben and when he says that like there's no kind of resolution as you said there's no resolution within the scene there's also kind of no resolution of its place within the overall story once you know everything so it's kind of like a big who cares uh you add to that that amelia calls juliet julie number of times that juliet was called julie in the show i think is once and this is it (laughs) uh to me the only uh the only benefit of this was that it does feature juliet bending over to pick up the dropped muffins and i kind of found that nice listen you know the the more of elizabeth mitchell can get and again you know revolution podcast coming up revolutionpodcast.net uh, you know, and watching that show uh the better absolutely well pete let i'll make you a deal let's move on to number 110 the deal <laughs> on day 63 juliet visits michael during his captivity with the others to discuss the necessity to free walt from the island pete how did you like the deal 
I was gonna say, uh, contingent upon our deal is that I get more uh, Elizabeth Mitchell, uh, and you've given it to me. Um, again, that's really only what I'm getting out of it. Um, this this thing is a mess in terms of what's going on. Uh, there's Michael, whose hair is uh, in the middle now, when it was clearly <laughs> much longer at this point of the show. He also, uh, if you go back and look, in season two, in the very tail end of season two, when he's whacked out uh, on some Walt, uh, he's jonesing for some Walt, he develops lesions on his face uh, that then mysteriously go away. And it was also a time they were hinting very strongly at the quarantine and everything there. And those are not present here. So this is a double continuity whack uh, upon this little missing piece. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a nice attempt to kind of retcon Juliet into into the story, but it's just so talky. She explains that she had to that she made a deal to leave, but a the sister was saved. B the sister's in Miami. C Juliet must stay. How about we'll just remember that ourselves, and instead you sell us on the creepiness of the reminder that Ben's meat hooks are long term. This ahead of Michael returning for season four because of those meat hooks, um, because of the Ben connection, that would have been much more to kind of to kind of present this as a you know hey is michael going to be the guy on the boat is michael returning hey there was that uh missing piece about how juliet told michael you think you're free but you never are he pulls you back in and now maybe michael's going to get pulled back in somehow wow you know instead we just kind of spend the first six and nine tenth episodes saying yep uh ben has a guy in the boat it's clearly michael because harold perrineau was in the credits and who else uh has a ben connection and an island connection and you know blah 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 so kind of uh the deal got spoiled if you ask me yeah i would certainly agree with that now pete because the deal went bad you might be feeling a little sad a little depressed and that gets us to 111 tropical depression on day 43 arts confesses to michael who of course they're going to use because they're paying him for all these episodes uh that he lied about the upcoming monsoon season arts also tells michael that he was in australia to meet someone whom he found through internet dating but was sadly rejected pete yeah and i noticed too he catches his little medusa spider at the very beginning of this um which was a a cute little nod um, you know, Michael I have literally asks, in my notes, cute little moment. You called it a cute little nod. I have cute little moment. So I guess, you know, great minds and all that. Okay. Um, you know, Michael asks about the wind and he says, I don't know. And then, you know, it's poor Leslie Arts liar. You know, we, we established that he was lying about the win the first time, which leads us to, well, I lied about my photo and I got what I got in Australia. And I still didn't learn that uh, lesson because I'm lying on the island. Yeah, I, I think here's how the pitch went. Uh, let's bring Arts back for one of these missing pieces. He's not like an expensive guy. We can bring him out uh, just for one. Uh, no, two. We could shoot two in a day. Uh, we'll do, because uh, 
not that this is a poorly shot missing piece, but you, I'm sure that you could shoot this in the morning and shoot the next one, Arts and Crafts, shoot that in the afternoon. And indeed, I mean, I don't, I, I know weather in Hawaii can can change quickly, but uh, uh, tropical depression, it's very very sunny. Uh, then in Arts and Crafts, it's kind of less bright out. Um, I bet they banged out both of these in one day. Um, you know, and, and I don't know. Harold Perrineau looks annoyed at arts, understandably. Or I should say Michael looks annoyed at arts uh, in this. I wondered, too, if it was just Harold Perrineau being annoyed at the script. That's entirely possible. <laughs> I didn't think about that as I was watching it. But, um, yeah, like you said, uh, you know, in retrospect from a TV standpoint, it it's pure calculation. Yeah. Well, let's move on to 112 Arts and Crafts. That's A-R-T-Z because ha, ha, ha. <laughs> on day seven, Arts tries to dissuade some of the crash survivors from following Jack by moving into the caves. That is until he hears the monster and decides to move there himself. I got to fact check your spelling. Isn't it A-R-Z-T? Huh. Uh, yes. Wait, hold on. I'm trying to. Yeah, it is A R Z T. I must have misspelled it um, when I wrote the title, but then the summary I cut and paste from Wikipedia. So, yes, A R Z T. I do apologize. Uh, I'll just call him Mr. Artst. Or is that Doctor? I think it's Doctor. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not sell the guy short here. Um, so what did you think? Um, I'm taken out by a couple different things here. You know, um, the eggs in the mouth myth, which, you know, has, has been debunked by the internet. You know, uh, insects don't go into your mouth to lay eggs. They're more frightened of, you know, a breathing, uh, dark place than a quiet one. So, you know, just turns me off there uh so you're saying the arts was lying yet again when he claimed this i i just feel is is all right there's a cute quality but there's also a mean quality i don't know i'm i'm very sensitive to to when things are said harshly to hurley i i just Mm. i i don't think the characterization um it comes off well and then you know the smoke monster noise which you know, is, is the, is the dust in our eyes at the end of this is kind of meant to w- wait, what just happened? Oh, the, the smoke monster. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, once again, I use the word cute for this. It's a cute contrived start. Jin thinks that quote, they close quote are lovers. And son explains that Boone and Shannon are brother and sister. How does she know? Oopsie. Jin doesn't know that she knows English. Da 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 da. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I mean, it's there's some kind of funny stuff in there. I mean, funny, but not like Art's yelling at Sun and Jin to make them understand English. That's kind of funny. And I mean, he's also kind of taken down like, you know, I think it's Michael is like, dude, they can't understand you just because you yell English. Um, there's also the cute oh, the word cute again. There's the funny comment 
of Arts uh, saying that he doesn't trust Jack because the doctor was crying in the jungle for his daddy. Uh, I mean, that definitely is a nod to, you know, all the discussion of, you know, crying in the jungle. But, eh, you know. Uh, Lostpedia did have a couple of things on this. They said that even though Arts says he's moving to the caves, he's still seen with some kind of shelter on the beach as late as day 24. I wouldn't necessarily call that a a uh, a canon issue. I would just say Arts is full of crap again. You know, he says he's going to move to the beach. He says he's going to move to the caves. He's back at the beach. He goes to the caves. You know, it's just kind of consistent with the nonsense of the character. Um, last bit is uh, I, th- I thought this was at least uh, interesting to point out. Jin and Son are both technically right about Shannon and Boone's relationship. Not only are they brother and sister. Uh, you know, at least by by marriage. But uh, in hearts and minds, we learned that they are uh, also step siblings who've slept together. So they both get it right. It's a floor wax and a dessert topping. That yum. Well, here we are, coincidentally, at the last one, which uh, uncoincidentally, uh, purposefully, that is to say, one thirteen was titled "So It Begins," and it was obviously intended always as the last the last one uh just after the crash on day one what appears to be christian tells vincent the dog to go and find jack the opening scene of the pilot episode is replayed in which jack wakes up and vincent walks by come here come on come on come on good boy come on come here come here good boy yes hey listen I need you to go find my son. He's over there in that bamboo forest, unconscious. I need you to go wake him up. Okay? He has work to do. Your thoughts, Pete? Two things. Um... One, it had always been a rumor throughout the season, or throughout the season, again, I say, throughout the series, it was hinted at very heavily several times that we were going to get a Vincent episode, if not Vincent flashbacks. Um, you know, he yeah. survives the whole series. I mean, they would have been morons to ever kill off a dog, what with the Michael Vick story going on in the midst of the airing of the show. Um but we never get that. So, you know, this gets some validation as the closest we ever get to Vincent's story. Um, two, what we know about at the end of the series, Christian Shepherd appearing on the island, I find it very uh, contradictory here, though. Well, Jack has work to do. Oh, what is that work? smoke i mean uh christian <clears throat> like kill you is that the work he has to do like you know that's the work he has to do i mean obviously they can drop that loaded line in here and you know having a plan versus not having a plan for ending the the series i mean they had targeted an end date by this point um i don't know i i think a real mixed bag here leaning towards not really worthy you know i totally disagree insofar as uh, i have argued that each 
Christian appearance on the island has actually been the smoke monster. Uh, and that it's been an attempt, you know, sometimes the smoke monster just takes people out violently uh, because of rage, because of uh, perceived threat, whatever. But there's other times that the smoke monster will push and prod and put a little plant, a little seed here and give a little nudge there. Um, I just felt that this was further affirmation of that. What's the work to be done? The work to be done is. Uh, to start to, you know, the smoke monster is patient. It's been 2,000 years. Um, hey, here's some new people. Let's let's poke and prod and pull to get these people onto Team Smoke Monster, not Team Jacob. And, uh, I mean, insofar as our, under, you know, if we look at our understanding of Season 1, Season 2, uh, certainly for, I mean, my goodness, maybe maybe most of the series... If you look at the uh, you know if you look at the others as bad guys, well, the others are flawed people who are um, living under Jacob's umbrella or or who are living uh, under Jacob's love. If you want to go that far, and if Jacob is a good guy and the others are flawed people uh, working in his light, then for our heroes to be fighting against the others, not that it's not understandable, you know, the stealing of children and, and you know, Goodwin and, and Ethan and all of that. I'm just saying, insofar as they're fighting against the, the quote-unquote children of Jacob, uh, that means that their team smoke monster and based on what we see, you know, based on Jack's work and the work of others, there's... Team 815 versus the others, and if the others are Team Jacob, that means that 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 eight, the 815 survivors are Team uh, Smoke Monster, and here we see the Smoke Monster kicking that little pebble off the tippity-top of the mountain, knowing that it's going to hit a couple more pebbles, and by the time you get, you know, and maybe, oh, maybe, by the time you get to the bottom of the mountain... Circumstances are such where somebody's put a knife in Jacob and uh, the smoke monster finally figures out a way to get up the island and ruin life for all people on Earth. I mean, I can certainly see that. But uh, again, you know, and it's part of the theme of the series, but one action begetting another action, you know, the, the chess match, if you will. You know, he doesn't know he's he's engineering his own downfall. But, you know, watching it as we are here, uh, ro- rolling spoiler full, uh, if you will, you know, we know he is. And I, I just I have a difficult time watching it from that perspective. You know, at the time when it aired and, and I believe I watched it, you know, on the Web then, you know, it was like, wow, all right. You know, because um, obviously you don't know the, the truth or the perceived truth about Christian's appearances. Um, you know, I could go both ways on it, but, you know, I, I kind of think we were a little bit better with, about it. Ah, fair enough. Now, I have a question for you, Pete, because I watched this uh, I watched this online, and it wasn't of the best quality. I actually, because of what I'm about to mention, I tried to find uh, a higher quality version on YouTube, and, and I couldn't, but... I couldn't quite tell. 
after the writing credit for Drew Goddard, it looked as though straight ahead, you know, we're in Vincent's point of view, it looked as though straight ahead to what I was seeing, uh, which was, again, kind of highly pixelated. It looked as though perhaps there was a, a static smoke monster straight ahead, and then mom- a moment after that is when Vincent turns left. Um, did you, <coughs> excuse me, did you see any of that, or was that just the way the, the pixelation happened? Uh, I did not see any of that. And remember, I'm not viewing it with uh, pixelation. I'm getting it on the DVD. So perhaps that, that was just an effect. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Um, I guess with that, we'll, uh, we'll now take a look at Lostpedia, Wikipedia, and any thoughts that you have kind of concerning the background of, uh, of the missing pieces as a whole, uh, the, the, the efforts behind them, some of the, you know, I don't know if you want to get into some of the union stuff, but uh, having now discussed all 13, what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on the missing pieces as a whole? I think they remain a curiosity, uh, a lot like they did when they were shared. I like the, the, the term you used before. Um, you don't need to watch them, yet they're considered canon, I think is interesting. Um, you know, craving more of the show. They might be something that somebody goes to. Um, but, you know, I know you're watching it, you know, not to make this a commercial, but you're watching through Netflix. Um, you can't get at them unless you know about them. Um, you know, I have the DVDs. Well, I really had to search for them on the DVDs. So again, from a point of pride, it's not something that they point out like, and hey, go check out this experiment we did at this point. It's kind of like, yeah, they're out there. Oh yeah, they count, but we're not going to make a huge deal about them. And I, I just don't think you can have it every way. I feel like as well, you know, the, there's so many more of them than the new man in charge. Uh, but I feel like the new man in charge gets referenced quite a bit more. Um, perhaps just a, a, as a reflection that the new man in charge was meant to be, you know, highly part of the canon and really meant to just touch on a couple of, a couple of small things, including, you know, where did the airdrop, you know, how did the airdrops keep happening? Uh, not that that was a, a burning question, but, but when the series was all done, new man in charge was there to sweep the last little bit away. Whereas this was kind of mid game and kind of mid curiosity, uh, as you said, or a curiosity, as you said, um, I'll just mention to mention that it took two years for the missing pieces to happen. Uh, originally they wanted to do it, uh, without union actors. Um, but apparently the cast and crew, said no they kind of started to raise a stink this of course was a little um you know a little foretelling because that's it was the notion of new media and how new media was going to was going to uh be compensated for for writers was the whole reason that uh that uh the strike happened uh in 2007 into 2008 uh obviously affecting you know season four and in fact the pause that the podcast is taking in between 
the first eight episodes of season four and the remaining ones that that pause was because the strike uh you know because of the strike uh so just kind of a weird a weird curiosity as you say i think that's a perfect a perfect word it kind of has this sense of it's not important but it's worth investigating but is it worth the time you put in Eh, you know so pete on the topic of these uh lost missing pieces do you have any uh any other final words any other thoughts no, I, I think we've pretty much uh, covered everything there. And, and again, it's it's nice to get these, you know, little tastes, these uh, these vignettes here. But, you know, no need to go out of your way to check them out. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much does it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um so is there anything else you'd like to uh to say to hype people up for the uh for the revolution podcast before uh before we wrap up your uh your visit this time? Well, I just think that uh you know we're gonna get some uh similar to lost type of storytelling. At least that's the way uh you know the uh promotion people at NBC would have us uh leaning at this point um you know uh it it offers that type of opportunity it offers elizabeth mitchell so if you are a fan of lost i think this is definitely something you owe it to yourself to check out and the revolution podcast will be there to lead you through the darkness absolutely if you just search uh search itunes for uh for ph geek our podcast will come up if you're going to search for it by uh, searching for Revolution Podcast. The full and proper uh, title is uh, The Revolution Podcast by phgeek.com. So, Pete, thank you very much for, uh, for stopping by the old podcast today. Thanks again for having me. And, uh, well, I'll be uh, talking to you uh, midweek next week as we, do the, uh, as we podcast the first episode of Revolution. Can't wait. Alrighty, and I'll just say to all our listeners that uh, we'll look ahead to next week. Next week's episode is 409, The Shape of Things to Come, that has uh, some great uh, Ben mysteries uh, injected into, uh, you know, injected into the story. How do you get into the desert uh, wearing a, a parka? One of the uh, one of the little tidbits that gets picked up on later in the story. Uh, if you'd like to share feedback, you can. Uh, Say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. You can call the listener line, 732-707-1815. Send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. Or leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And talk to you again next week for 409, The Shape of Things to Come. Bye-bye.